I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Mama Bear Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. This is podcast episode one. It's a big deal. Big deal. Well, so Hillary, you approached me about Mama Bear Apologetics a few months ago, and um, I was extremely excited because I love apologetics, and I love the idea of getting more people involved in it, especially women. Especially women and moms. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell everyone where you got the idea from Mama Bear Apologetics? Uh, Well, before we do that, let's give... I think there's a lot of women out there who don't even know what apologetics is. Yeah. The most common question I get is, what are you apologizing for? Yeah. Sounds like you are. It's a funny word. word. So the word apologetics is actually derived from the Greek word apologia, uh, which originally referred to just defending any position through uh, systematically applying reason, logic, solid information, pretty much anything you would see in a trial, um, in our modern day trials. So early on in the church history, Christianity was obviously under a lot of attack, as we kind of have always been. Um, and so some of the early church fathers in the second and third centuries who were defending the faith against critics were became known as apologists. So it's actually the opposite of apologizing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is, which is strange that it has a word or has a name that's so similar. Yeah. Yeah. So you could liken those early apologists more to lawyers than to um, professional apologizers. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, for example, there's a, there's a man named Jay Warner Wallace who's written some books. And actually, okay. I'd like to give him a shout out uh, Jim has been very instrumental in Mama Bear Apologetics, namely, uh, it was a couple weeks ago, no, more than that, it was maybe like two months ago, I kind of ran this idea by him and another guy named Kevin Harris, who uh, works with William Lane Craig, and they were just floored at the idea of this, and I will always remember this, that Jim looked at me and he said, Hillary, you have to do this now, you can't wait till you graduate, You, you have to do this now, I'm in the midst of a few degrees right now, so... And you called me the next day then, right? I did. <laughs> exactly. I thought, who else here is going to be a mama bear with me? Um, so Jay Warner Wallace has written a book. He, he was actually a forensic detective, I think. Hopefully, Jim, that's the right word for it. But um, he wrote a book called Cold Case Christianity because uh, he kind of specialized in, in his profession in the cold cases, meaning the trails kind of ended. We're not really sure what happened. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't believe he was a believer. And he thought, I'm going to see if Christianity checks out. And I think he went to disprove it. And He's then, actually pretty famous, too, isn't he? He's been on uh, um, Dateline and oh. other shows like that for, yeah. I'm sure he has. He's He's got yeah. some good work. But um, so eventually, I mean, or essentially, excuse me, what he did with, with his book is said, if I were going to be bringing this to trial, what evidence would I need mm-hmm. for this? And so that's kind of how he presents it, which is, is similar to how there's some other guys that did that, like Lee Strobel. Yeah, Lee Strobel. He was, um, I believe, an investigative journalist. Is that what he so, was? Yes, and I that believe his wife became. I, I may be getting this wrong. Sorry, uh, Doctor Strobel, <laughs> get it wrong. But um, his wife, I believe, was became a believer, and he was like, "Okay, well, I'm just going to use my skills to prove this wrong." And um, he went and really studied Christ and the evidence for um, Christ's existence and his death and resurrection. 
And um, he has a series of books, the Case for books. I think the first one is the Case for Christ. Yeah, I was wondering which one the first one was. I know that the most recent one he has is the Case for Grace, and that's the most recent. So we've got the Case for Christ, Case for Creator, that's out. They actually have a DVD, Mm -hmm. Case for Faith. And now they have a, um, I believe he has a whole uh, kid series. So that's right. Taking it down to a um, child's level. Yeah. And that's really good because it kind of helps parents if we're going to be talking through this with our kids, how, how something that I can get this across to a five-year-old. Yeah. And what, and what he does, I've read case for Christ, case for Christ. And what he did in that book is he went to the experts like an investigative journalist would do. And, um, and so you get these little snippets of his, um, interviewing these different experts. It's, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. It kind of takes you on the journey with yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Uh, these stories actually are, I wouldn't say they're common necessarily, but um, my pastor growing up, actually, he was one of the ones that really impacted my faith, uh, that he had been an atheist uh, mm-hmm. uh, up into like his 20s or so. And one day he decided this this Christianity thing is ridiculous. I need to put a stop to this once and for all. And so he set out to disprove Christianity. And that's that's the way he became a believer. Wow. A lot like, uh, sounds like C.S. Lewis. Yeah, very much like C.S. Lewis. So, yes, funny you should mention him. He's actually the other one that has, I, I kind of cite two people, uh, two main minds, I guess, that have impacted my faith the most from when I was young, and it would be C.S. Lewis and my and my pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have this really great quote from him that I've always loved. It's from his book, Surprised by Joy, mm-hmm. which is a mm-hmm. uh, double entendre because Joy was his wife, and she kind of, he got married at a lot later, uh, a lot later in life. So he says, in the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. <laughs> the most reluctant convert. That's right. That's uh, one of his favorite quotes, and I love it because it kind of shows there. there's an emotional component to faith, but there's also an intellectual component to faith. And there, there's some people who are ruled more by emotions, but there's also people who are ruled more by by intellectual stuff. And so... Mm-hmm. If we ignore them as a church, thinking that apologetics doesn't matter, it's just for the people who want to argue, we're going to miss out on great minds like C.S. Lewis, who, if someone hadn't presented him with a lot of the evidence, yeah. um, we wouldn't have had some of his work. And he's one of the most influential Christian thinkers of the 20th century. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. We can't imagine Christianity today without his work and especially um his children's books that so many people all the narnia series yeah that are just play such a huge part in people's childhood i would love to actually do a series going through those because there's a lot of really Mm. good theology in those books oh yeah that that's the perfect thing for if you want to start kind of teaching your kids some theology i mean what a what better way to do it yeah that's actually we um my husband and i did that last summer with our girls and he's he every night we would read and we started with the lion the witch in the wardrobe because we said we'll read the book first and then we'll watch the movie and um so we read through the series and and yeah there's a lot of opportunities in there to stop and talk to the lord i mean talk to the girls about the lord um prince caspian there's a lot on the hiddenness of god because aslan is where is he everyone talks about him but where is he and you call him Aslan? Aslan. How, how do you say it? I, Aslan. Aslan. Like okay. normal people. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, Edit that out. Maybe I'm the weirdo. <laughs> Heck no, we're leaving that. <laughs> so he's, you know, it, so we're, Lee and I are reading this and we're looking at each other because we've been talking a lot about the hiddenness of God is something that was a big stumbling block for me. Well, and, explain like what what is the hiddenness of God? No one sees him, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't see him. I mean, some people claim they do, and, and I don't want to 
downplay that. I, I don't know. It's I don't. It's outside of my experience. That's right. That's outside of our <laughs> Some people hear him speak, and and I don't want to you know say they don't. But the, my experience is not. And I'm, I I know that if I were to see him and hear him speak, I probably would have a heart attack. Actually, so <laughs> yes. Uh, it would well, there's really a reason me. why in scripture, even the angels come, and the first words they always say is "Do not be afraid." So if the people yeah. fall down to worship, and these are the angels, and the... I don't really want to see an angel right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can handle it emotionally. And if we can't handle angels, we sure as heck can't yeah. handle seeing God but face to face. it's this idea that um, some people, and especially when you're going through times of um, suffering, um, mm-hmm. it's hard to see God. It's hard to see, it's hard to believe in Him and trust Him. And because we don't physically see him. I mean, Jesus, he ascended into heaven after he rose mm-hmm. and he's not here. And so that's a problem that we have to be able to address with people and even with children. One day um, I came downstairs and my daughter had drawn a picture and it was her and and she had written on the thing for God. Oh. And she told me that, that she had left that there for him because she wanted him to come get it. And so I was like... <laughs> Okay, I'm thrown right into this question of the hiddenness of God, and I, you know, and it was good that I was already struggling with it myself, but kind of good. Um, it was kind of I was kind of laughing at God, going, "Okay." <laughs> so we had to sit and talk about that, and so children they think about these things. It's and- amazing the questions that will come out of their mouth. Um, there's yeah. a there's a couple that I want to interview with the the shells that I just met them recently. And they are actually going through, I think, William Lane Craig's Defender series with, I'm trying to remember the grade, but it's with, it's like junior high. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. And they say that some of the stuff coming out of these kids' mouths, they're like, wow. I mean, they're, they're deep thinkers. We don't give them enough credit. We think that, you know, youth groups need to be pizza parties and stuff, but they can handle a lot more than we give them credit for. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Okay. So Hillary, tell me how um, your pastor and C.S. Lewis affected your faith? Oh, yes. So, uh, like I said, my pastor had, he kind of taught himself apologetics mainly because he was trying to prove it wrong. And so one of the things I loved about the church that I went to is almost every sermon that we had, had an apologetics kind of take home message mainly because since he was having to prove these things to himself the whole time when he was going through his period, um, of searching, he was able to pass that on to us. And I remember, wow. yeah, you don't, you don't see that very often. Um, no, and they don't no. teach that in seminaries. And I think that's really a shame. Yeah. Some yeah. of the best teachers I've ever had were ones that did not go to seminary. <laughs> I know. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. Yeah. There's something that's... to be said for being self-taught, but, um, so the first series that he went through that I remember, I was in seventh grade, and he called it the Liar Lord Lunatic Series. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, like we were saying how him and C.S. Lewis, that's actually, um, I don't know if C.S. Lewis created that. I know that that's the first place I've ever seen it. It's um, probably created so many things you read from C.S. Lewis, and then if you ever read G.K. Chesterton, uh-huh. you're like, wait a minute, that's where he got it from. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, no, I, I will give credit to where it's Cats due. Cats out of the <laughs> Well, but it's great thinkers. They just influence each other. Yeah, right? they just yeah. influence each other. But um, so he had something called the Trilemma series. Mm-hmm. Uh, trilemma, we think of dilemmas where you're trying to pick between two things. The trilemma is where you're trying to pick between three. And so his was, uh, it's called Liar, Lord, Lunatic. So... Mm-hmm. We have Jesus here on earth claiming to be God, that he can forgive sins, all this stuff. You've got the liar, where if someone says, I don't believe Jesus was who he said he was, he must have been a liar. Uh, The problem with that is that 
they at the same time the law also extol him for being one of the greatest teachers who ever lived and it's like well if if you're going to call him a great teacher which a lot of people will you can't say he's a liar because if you're you're just not a good person if you're going around telling people that you're god and you know you're not Right. Um, so he was a great teacher here, but then he went off into crazy land here yeah. when he was saying it was God, but then he became normal again. And yeah. Well, not even the crazy. It's like, that would be the liar. It's like, he's trying to purposely deceive people, but right. the lunatic part. Oh yeah, be, that's a lunatic. Yeah. And yeah, is he didn't realize he wasn't God. He really thought he was. So but usually when you meet people that think they're God, they're usually not very good teachers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah those things usually, don't normally go yeah. hand in hand. And so this is where the, the reasoning comes through. It's like, if you have to look at the historical Jesus, he can be a liar, he can be a lunatic, or if he was who he said he was, he is God. Yeah. And so that would be the Lord part. But I remember going through that, my little seventh grade mind, and thinking, wow, this makes sense. It, yeah. it had been something that I had been taught to believe in the past, but this was the first time that I said, this faith is mine. Wow. I wish, I so wish I had had that in seventh grade. I didn't. And it created problems for me later on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second, blessed oh, to have that. Absolutely. And the, the second series that he went through that I remember very um, vividly was the evidences for the resurrection. Wow. And uh, he went through each of the different theories that people have given. Did the disciples steal the body? The swoon theory, that one's my favorite, uh, Mm -hmm. because it's just ridiculous. Or the collective, um, what was it? Um, Not delusion, um, hallucination. Hallucination, like 500 people hallucinating the same time. Wow, has that ever happened before? Yeah, but. I think LSD was me. (laughs) (laughs) And even if it was, they wouldn't be seeing the same thing. So we'll have, I'm sure we're going to devote a lot of time to talking about the evidences. For the resurrection. So your pastor was going through this when you were yeah at seventh church. and eighth grade. Wow. Yeah, and so awesome. to this day, and when I say like we all have doubts, we all still have those times. I call them the dark nights of the soul, mm. where you're starting to wonder again: Am I? Did I pick the right religion? Do I just believe this because I grew up in it? And every single time, I still to this to this day, and I'm talking like not like years ago. I'm talking like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that, uh, that I just start struggling. I go back and I list out those evidences for the resurrection. Then I'm kind of, okay, I I don't have to walk away. I don't have to think that I'm picking something random. There's good reason for believing this. I I don't have to look at an experience or feeling. If I were to rely on feelings, Lord knows, I would have walked away a long time ago. Yeah, Yeah, and I, I do that too. It's sometimes for me, it's a, this is too good to be true sort of thing. Um, What's too good to be true? That Christianity, Jesus, God loving us, free gift of salvation, um, you know, living eternally, um, having an answer for one day for all the suffering and and having this perfect justice meted out one day. You think, okay, this is all just like a fairy tale. (laughs) But again, it's you go back to that core, you go back to the the resurrection, Mm -hmm. you go back to what the early apostles the, the eyewitness reports from them and what they endured. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think uh, I picked up a list of things. I was at a conference this last week and then Clay Jones actually specifically addressed what you're saying right there mm-hmm. about how people listen to the story of Christ and, oh, okay, so it started out good and they got banished from, you know, perfect, but, or banished from the garden and oh, then this yeah. guy's going to come back, the bride of Christ, you know, he's going to come back and collect his bride and they're going to live happily ever after, ever after. And so he was like, doesn't that sound like a fairy tale? And he just looked at everybody and said, no, fairy tales sound like this. 
I love that. And I think C.S. Lewis would agree with that. Yes, absolutely. I think he would. That's where he got his idea from. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's the same thing. I go back to that core. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think this is a really good, I mean, we should definitely do probably several podcasts on doubt because yes, absolutely. I was just at that same conference and I was speaking to a young woman saying, do you ever, cause I was telling her about, I went through a period of, of doubt several years and it was very dark and I kind of was an atheist at some points in there. And, um, she said, well, do you ever, you know, you're giving me hope that you're on the other side, but I, I, I am always going to be struggling with doubt. And I said, well, doubt's always going to be there because we're human. Yeah. Right. And, but you learn to categorize doubt and you learn to say, okay, this is, this is a peripheral issue. This is something that doesn't affect the resurrection. Yeah, does not affect, you have your core your core. Okay. So it's what was the earth and universe created and, you know, seven day, you know, six days. And, um, that is important. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that is peripheral to the resurrection. Yes. It's, it's that core, um, we call them Nicene Creed things. You go up and look, go look the Nicene Creed up and you'll see that that's sort of the core beliefs of who Christ is, who God is, um, what happened to him, his death, burial, resurrection, um, the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the core. That's the core. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the things that, uh, the peripheral stuff, I think it's really easy to pick people off. I compare it to, I read an article a while back about, I know it's hard to believe that I have ADD. <laughs> you never guess that. Actually, everybody would guess that. Um, no. But it, it talks about, um, how the ADD mind is like having a thousand post-it notes in front of you and you're having a hard time picking which one is the most important. So your mind just bounces around everywhere. And so not understanding which category things fall into is kind of like being spiritually ADD of like, which ones are the important ones? Which ones do I need to focus on? Which ones are like, that's okay. That's a good question, but that shouldn't rock who I believe you know, who I am in Christ, my identity in Christ, that's not going to affect that. I think this is such an important thing to teach children to to, to know ourselves. So we aren't intimidated when our children come and ask us questions Mm -hmm. and maybe turn them away or, or, um, uh, you know, make them feel bad for giving, asking questions because we can immediately categorize, we can know where they are. And and it's good to category. It's a good, um, concept for them to understand that there are certain doubts that fit in that that are not core you know you're not doubting these core issues yeah and coming also into just your children having questions there's something um that i've been kind of working through myself i think i've asked you before is it psalms or proverbs where it talks about uh walking in the way of sinners sitting in the seat standing and then seating yeah it's walking standing sitting and that's kind of this progression uh, that I think we have something similar when it comes to uh, to questions and doubt that mm. questions we should encourage. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. We should never let our kids think that having questions is bad because what happens is when you have enough unanswered questions, that turns into doubt. Yeah. Doubt is where it's like, eh, that's still not great, but doubt when it solidifies becomes unbelief. Yeah. And it's that point a lot of times that parents will wake up and say, oh my gosh, what, what happened? My child just came home and said they don't believe. Well, there was a, was a process. Yes, yeah. it, there was a process. And so just being able to encourage our children to ask questions, even if we don't know the answers, saying, I'm going to, the one thing my dad told me over and over again growing up, and I love it, he said, Hillary, you don't have to know all the answers. You mm. just got to know where to find the answers. Mm. Yeah, I love and, that. Yeah, and that that's served me well. So I think... Um, Well, we're talking a lot about moms, so um, 
Well, you mentioned when you were talking about um, having ADD, and it sounded like um, a mom <laughs> <laughs> with several children. Yes, because you are multitasking, and you don't, and 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 multitasking is tough, and it's also um, you have all those sticky notes that you're having to do, and you're having to flip between them and change gears constantly, and it's tiring. Yeah, and so you don't have the mental energy it takes to read through some deep theological philosophical book yeah you know laying out all the arguments you want to have it condensed and yeah um so anyway the the original idea had been for that in another place that i got just the name mama bear because i thought it could be the mama bear series but i got that specific name because um you know this the the listeners not i don't know if i should admit this i don't have children and uh, the Lord has not blessed me with them, and he has not really given me the ability to uh, adopt either because of health problems. I don't know if that's sharing too much on the, oh, on no. the first podcast, so, but not that's just all. laying my cards out there. I think women will love that. Oh, I know. Thank you. Um, but the Lord has still called us to be spiritual parents. Yeah. Even if we do, if we have not been blessed with children, we can still be spiritual moms. And so I have I a that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made sure for Mother's Day to wish a, a happy Mother's Day to mothers of uh, biological, adopted, and spiritual children. Mm-hmm. In fact, I got my first Happy Mother's Day from from Angelique. She actually texted me first thing that day. Oh, okay. I'm getting chills. So sweet. I love, I love it. it. She's so great. <laughs> but um, so I got a nickname a couple years ago that was Mama Hill. Oh, yeah. Mama Hill. <laughs> it was because uh, John and I um, worked with a, a lot of singles, and so there were some guys that, you know, were being guys where they're sick and they won't go to the doctor. And I was like, you have to go. And I just started kind of going all mom on them. And they're like, so they started calling me Mama Hill for oh, when that part comes yeah. out. And so I kind of analyzed that of when to, I do have this side of me that comes out. And it's either if I feel like someone needs to be protected or yeah. if I see truth being radically. Um, compromised. And so that mama instinct right there came out. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what is that? And I thought, it's like a mama bear where she's all cute and cuddly and sweet and maternal until you mess with her kids. And then that woman is going to open up a can on you. Mm-hmm. And you're, mm-hmm. you're going to feel the pain and she's going to bring the pain. Um, and I thought, that's exactly what I want the moms to be is apologetics might not affect them, but if they could see how it could affect their kids suddenly, they are going to rise up and say, oh, no, 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 you are not messing with my kids, and they're going to go teach themselves apologetics. Yeah, and it's so, I think it's it's so much more important today than what, what it was maybe in our parents' day and in their parents' day. And even in our day. Even though it should have been do, been happening then, too. Yeah. But um, I, I think... Uh, very much in our day to day because our our culture is becoming more diverse. Um, yes, we have, and and it's a good thing I think in some ways because um, we need to really. It's forcing us to know why, what we believe, and why we believe it exactly. And so it it will deepen your faith. It will deepen your knowledge of God, and and you deepen that, and you grow closer to Him. But. Um, we have more Hindus. We have definitely more atheists and agnostics. Mm-hmm. They're certainly the, the atheists are the loudest ones. Yeah, but you know we have um, Muslims, our, Mormons, Muslims, Mormons. Buddhism is actually on the rise, surprisingly enough. That there's a lot wow. of, especially with the uh, 
I think it would be the millennials are being kind of drawn towards that whole Buddhist because it's just yeah. kind of this zen. It's easy, right? Yeah. It doesn't make demands on you, but you, mm-hmm. it does have great moral teaching, but it doesn't mm-hmm. make the demands on you. And, and yeah. Until you poke it, there was a, a girl that I knew that had decided that she was going to go Buddhist. And I said, I can't remember what it was. It was on Facebook and it was about anger. And she was like, oh, well, I don't, I don't believe in anger anymore. You know, I, I, and I said, really? I said, so the children, the little girls that are sold into sex slavery, that doesn't make you angry. And she's like, well, I feel disappointed. I was like, well, you can feel disappointed. I feel angry. (laughs) That makes me angry. And there's things that we need to be angry about. So anyway, we'll, we'll go into a whole series at one point about just the different worldviews and, um, kind of comparing that to how this either religion or worldview answers a question versus how Christianity would answer the same question. So, so our children are growing up in a world where, and, and then you just have the internet, you have oh, TV, goodness. you just, they're getting exposed to more worldviews and we can't live in a bubble when mm-hmm. we, we're not supposed to actually, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. Right. And in the world we have the great commission, we have to go out and reach the world. And it's not just these indigenous tribes, places, you know, they've never heard the gospel. It's here. It's our neighbor. It's our Muslim neighbors. It's our atheist friends, you know, we, and we need to train our children to to learn to love those people and to go to them and take the gospel. And how can they do that if they don't understand what they believe Mm -hmm. and understand how their worldview stacks up to these other ways of approaching, uh, you know, life? And just understanding what those other worldviews are, I think. Um, so, as you know, I've learned or been trying to learn how to do Twitter. I've never been on Twitter, but I figure if we're going to have a ministry, we need a Twitter account. So, if a mama bear tweets, is that a tweet or is that a growl? It's <laughs> a growl. We don't. Are we tweet. growling? Yeah, we, mama bears don't tweet. That's right. We don't tweet. We're serious. <laughs> so, but one of the things I said on there was, uh, "May kids never encounter arguments against Christianity that they haven't already heard us refute in our own homes." That's- Perfect. And yeah. uh, I think that's kind of what we have going on. Just I think you uh, you mentioned the other day just how pluralistic our culture has become. Just all paths lead to God. What's true for you is not true for me. And I think it's kind of what I see. I see I see this in my own heart because I am a peacekeeper type person. You know, mm-hmm. I like to keep the peace. I, I don't like conflict. And so I I know I understand. I empathize with this feeling that I think most people get. They say, okay, well, that's true for you, but this is for me. And, you know, it's not conflict. And so it kind of turns into this, well, it's, you know, that's okay for you. And this is okay for me rather than, no, that's not okay for you. Yeah. Because that's not true. It's not true, and it's not that we don't like you. It's just, yeah. and it's not, of course, that we think we're better. Or no, anything. absolutely it's just not. That, that that no, I I've you know been by the grace of God, I I know this truth, and and I want to share it with you because it will impact your eternity. Yeah, uh, my husband John is always referring to the the ones that just kind of want to keep the peace. It's kind of like fluffing pillows on a coffin, just saying. He's like, hey, I'm going to keep that in my mind <laughs> when I when I'm because I, I just I have that. Um, I have that response in me that I have to kind of try to keep down. I think we all do just because if there's one thing that's considered um, an absolute, so we've got absolute truth and we've got relative truth and the absolute truth that we're being told (laughs) is you can't put your beliefs on me. Um, And, uh, but that's the one place everybody agrees apparently. So, I mean, and it's hard to do it because there have been a lot of ways that people have gone about this wrong. And I think we've gotten so scared of doing it wrong 
that we just don't even go there. I, I think it's so it's human nature to let the pendulum swing too far either yeah. way, right? Because yeah. one far we, we react and go the mm-hmm. so it's hard to kind of keep it balanced. Yeah, yeah. I was talking with um, with someone the other day, and I was saying how difficult evangelism is in the U.S. right now. And I mean, I'm sure it's like this other um, other places that you present the gospel to people who haven't heard. But the thing that we have over here is we're trying to present the gospel to people who have heard. And that's a completely different method. Or think they've heard. Or or think they've heard. That's right. In fact, going back to Narnia, there's a, um, in the the last book, it's the the last battle, I believe, um, where you have these, uh, they think that Aslan's back, but it's really just a donkey that's dressing up. um, I guess, long story. You'll have to read it. But, uh, the dwarves, they get fooled, but then they realize it's not the real Aslan. And so when the real Aslan does come, the the characters are trying to convince them, no, the real Aslan's here. And they're saying, you fooled us once, you're not going to fool us again. Mm-hmm. The dwarves are for the dwarves. We're staying on our own yeah, side. Yeah. And, okay, that pride was kind of yeah. Yeah, kicking in. Well, there, there's something to be said there for when someone's presented with the, the wrong... the a false gospel or the wrong Jesus. It's like people say, oh, just, just preach Jesus. You have no idea who they're picturing in their head. Right. Well, and a lot of times if they have, like the dwarves in that story, they put a lot, they've invested a lot in it, mm-hmm. but it was not real. Yeah. Then they're, it, it hurts. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they will risk things for that belief that's not real. And because and, religion is a powerful thing. I mean, yeah. any religion, any belief system is powerful. And, and religion is particularly powerful. And so people will give up a lot for something. And when they find out that it's not true, they reject it all. They say never again. Because they don't want to be hurt. It's a protective mechanism. It's totally, I, I, I understand that. Yeah, I do too. In fact, another thing that I've thought about before is we have a lot of cases of celiac disease going around right now. You, you know what that is. It's where yeah. uh, you have a gluten allergy. Yeah. And I think that's really ironic considering that Jesus says that he's a bread of life. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Yeah. That uh, basically mm. what we have is we have this uh, kind of probably genetically engineered type of wheat that we've been, our body has taken in so much that finally it's like, no, no more. And then when you try, even if you were to give it something that was good and wholesome and natural, it's still going to reject it because hmm. it's gotten, it's almost like inoculated yeah. to the real thing. And I'm anyway, that's, that's, I, kinda, there, it's so highly sensitized. The yeah. system is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's understandable. Mm-hmm. So speaking of mama bear tweets or growls, Grr. as I want to call them, um, I saw that one that you put up, you put up an article, um, which one was you it? tweeted an article. It was something about the 300 questions oh, and it, I was, it's very true. I, I, I am a living example. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually one of the ones that it's like, cause I, I hadn't wanted to tweet and I just did that when it was like one of my first, it was like my second one and it got retweeted by like, I mean, I know this isn't a lot by like six people. I was like, Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I had the article is from the I think the UK Telegraph and it was talking about how moms get like 300 questions a day. Absolutely. It's just yeah. an insane number of questions and so I I tweeted that with uh, who do you think's getting asked these spiritual questions first? Mom. Yes. Mom's absolutely. the one being asking. Yeah, I I'm I'm looking for my phone because there is an there is a um a quote from GK Chesterton about that, about this idea that um Basically, don't knock motherhood. Oh my gosh. Because, you know, you think that it's so much more valuable to be a specialist in an area, but a mother is a specialist in everything mm-hmm. because you've got to ask questions about everything because those kids 
are, think of them. I mean, they're being introduced to the universe and the mom is around them most of the time, more than the dads typically, especially mm-hmm. in the Christian homes. And in the younger and the ages. Yeah, in the younger ages. But, you know, it's changing a little bit. But yeah. um, it, the, the, it's the mom that's answering these questions. Like all, all those sticky notes. Well, the child is putting a bunch of questions sticky yeah, notes that's where the there. sticky notes are coming from. Yeah. And, um, it, and he says, you know, a, a mother has to be broadly knowledgeable and so have a broad knowledge of a lot of different things. Yeah. And in fact, some of the research that I've done was showing that kids actually go to mom first. It's, it wasn't just that, you know, like that's kind of where I got that tweet from, but it's also because some other research I heard that dads are very influential. In fact, there's another study that we'll talk about at some point um, called a uh, faith and I think families and faith or faith. One of them it's, it's about the transmission of faith. Mm-hmm. And it talked about how one of the highest correlations to the transmission of faith is a warm relationship with the father. Wow. So the dads play an absolutely vital role. However, some of the other research talks about when the kids have questions, where do they go first? And dad becomes more influential kind of maybe in late, te- uh, late teens, 20s-ish, kind of later on. But up until kind of maybe around 15, 16, mom is still the first one they go to. <laughs> it's not only for questions, it's for tornadoes, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, my children are so funny. When there is a tornado, you know, warning or a bad storm, they come to me. I'm, I'm like, no, I'm going to daddy, too. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so funny. It's just that something about since we're the primary person there, we are the ones when they get hurt, they come to us when they're mm-hmm. sick. They don't want mommy leaving. They want mommy here. Daddy doesn't know anything. They they they. It's just mommy is dad the center may, of the world. Yeah, dad may protect, but mommy comforts. Mommy comforts. Yeah. And here's the quote that that Chesterton. I just want to read it. Um, How can it be a large career to tell other other people's children about the rule of three, and a small career to tell one's own children about the universe? Wow. How can it be broad to be the same thing to everyone? And narrow to be everything to someone. No, a woman's function is laborious, but because it is gigantic, not because it is minute. I will pity Mrs. Jones for the hugeness of her task. I will never pity her for its smallness. And that's from What's Wrong with the World by G.K. Chesterton. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.